Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, November 17. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Katrina Blouse. Hey, Tom. And in this episode of The Briefing, we'll find out how the pandemic changed sex work. For many, particularly those who were independently employed, they were using their social media platforms and other websites to connect with clients, to build up their business. So that's a former sex worker turned politician from Melbourne. We'll speak to her. She's fighting to change laws around sex work in Victoria. And we're also going to speak to a woman who runs an agency in Sydney. We had an increase in number from women calling us. I think it was more the family situation. Husbands left they were left with children. Quite often the husbands ran off with someone and took the money with them. That's today's briefing in the second half of this episode. First to today's headlines. There's a COVID surge in the Northern Territory. Uh, Nine new cases in one day has triggered a five-day mask mandate and lockdown extensions. This is obviously a serious escalation in the COVID-19 situation in the Northern Territory. A major contact tracing effort has been underway since the first case we reported yesterday. So that was the Northern Territory Chief Minister Michael Gunner speaking there. This cluster around Catherine and Robinson River has now reached 11 cases. The lockdown in those communities, as we said, has been extended until at least Monday. So Michael Gunner raised concerns the cluster could be linked to an outbreak in Darwin and Catherine two weeks ago. Uh, meaning the virus had seeded and was moving around the Territory. Meanwhile, protesters are still on the steps of Parliament House in Melbourne, voicing their opposition to the Victorian government's new pandemic laws. Yeah, and some of the protesters have been um, expressing themselves in some pretty intense and, you could say, violent ways. There was a big life-size like full-size gallows on a trailer being driven around. Gallows is what they used to hang people from in medieval times and some really intense messages uh, around killing the bill and a lot more than that. Dan Andrews' wife has had to respond to that. Um, But it's not just the fringe elements opposing the laws, Katrina. Yeah, the Victorian Bar and Victorian Chamber of Commerce and Industry and the Ombudsman have also voiced their concerns with the legislation. But Premier Dan Andrews has the numbers with cross-bench support to get these laws through. Yeah, so they made some amendments to the legislation which helped um, get the cross-benchers to support it in the lower house. The bill will be voted on in the upper house today. The renewed search for William Tyrrell is continuing today as police reveal they're focusing on a person of interest. There's a number of people that have been providing uh, intelligence and have been working with the police. They have uh, identified at least one person that may be of uh, particular interest to them. That's the police minister, David Elliott, speaking. Um, Police say the new and specific information prompted them to launch an intensive search of the garden where William was last seen before going missing in 2014. They're searching the ground at the bottom of a five-metre balcony at the home that belonged to his foster grandmother. Residents in the central New South Wales town of Forbes are bracing for floodwaters to peak today at over 10 metres, as many have already begun to flee their low-lying properties. Yeah, more than 2,000 residents across 800 homes in and around Forbes have been told to evacuate and begin sandbagging homes and businesses in the CBD. So this has been a real waiting game for people living in that town because of heavy rainfall across eastern Australia last week. They knew these floods were coming. A dramatic video, which you might have seen, emerged earlier this week of a dam upstream of Forbes, releasing tens of thousands of megalitres of water, and that's thought to have intensified the flooding in that area. 
And the family who spent five days stuck in the Simpson Desert in South Australia have finally been winched to safety. This mum, dad and two kids from Perth, they were just young kids as well, so you can imagine how scared they must have been. They'd been travelling around Australia in a camper van, they'd been documenting it on social media and then they became bogged because of heavy rain close to the Northern Territory border. So they had to drop supplies via the air to the family because no one could drive up to them because of the bog. So that's happened over the last couple of days. Rescuers had been waiting until the roads were passable to get to them, but time was running out because it was so hot, 40 degrees plus. So they winched them out with a chopper instead. Yeah, I'm sure this will be a trip that they will remember for some of the right reasons, but maybe some of the wrong ones too. And the leaders of China and the US have held their most in-depth talks this year with both promising to soothe tensions over Taiwan. Yeah, so Joe Biden and Xi Jinping held a virtual summit yesterday with the Chinese leader saying his government was striving for peaceful reunification with Taiwan. President Biden acknowledged China's claim to Taiwan but said the US would come to the aid of its allies. All countries have to play by the same rules of the road why the United States is always going to stand up for our interests and values and those of our allies and partners. The US doesn't officially recognise Taiwan as a country, but it provides aid to the island's democratic government. All right, up next, we're going to find out how the pandemic has changed the world of sex work. During the pandemic, I reckon the word pivot probably became one of the most overused words in the English language. You know, I feel like I haven't heard it for a while, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, it's refreshing, isn't it? I think for a while there, every second person on LinkedIn was talking about how they were pivoting and using it as a selling point for themselves and their businesses. And I guess so many businesses did have to change the way they operated as we transitioned to working from home. Yeah, and there were a lot of changes in our economy and in many industries that were already happening before the pandemic that got sped up, particularly any businesses that were selling a lot of their product or service online. We wondered how did COVID change the world's oldest profession, the sex industry, and how did sex workers and their clients adapt when it became so much harder to do business face-to-face? Joining us now is Samantha X, who runs an escort agency in Sydney. Samantha, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. How did the pandemic change sex work? Well, there was no sex work during lockdown, really. I mean, my agency, Samantha X Angels, and After Dark, we had to shut the shop. So no one could work, but the need was still there. It's incredible. Mm. <laughs> it always makes me laugh that not even a pandemic stops men. So the, the phone calls kept coming. And it made me laugh because in Melbourne, you know, when they had the earthquake, even that day, just after the earthquake, men from Melbourne were ringing saying, is anyone available? <laughs> um, so, <you'd, laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, look, I certainly didn't work. No one I knew worked. I did hear that some people were working, but yeah, it did affect people and clients were really suffering. I mean, my clients, one was suicidal and I had to help him get through that. You know, I've always said sex work is overpaid psychology and mm. uh, or naked therapy. And uh, I think COVID really, really showed that. What do you think about the lasting impacts? I mean, the pandemic has had so many lasting impacts where all kinds of businesses have had to pivot to survive. What do you think the impact has been on the sex industry in that regard? 
my agency, we've certainly been busier than we have before. Um, people, men, people have just more disposable cash now because they haven't been able to spend it. And I think there's a lot of after effects that um, certainly what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing from men is that they were quite traumatised by the lockdown, particularly single men who really have not had anyone else to talk to for months. A very dear client of mine said he did not speak to another soul during the whole of lockdown because some of these men are introverts, you know, they don't have partners, they don't have families, you know, all they do is live for their work. And when that was shut, they, they really had no one. And what about people working in the industry? Were more people drawn into working into the industry because of losing jobs or those sort of economic consequences of the pandemic? It wasn't so much losing jobs, but what I noticed from my business partner, Vanessa, that we had an increase in number from women calling us. I think it was more the family situation that was more apparent to them. You know, husbands left, they left, they were left with children. Quite often the husbands ran off with someone and took the money with them, which I just find appalling. So, I mean, I remember speaking to this lady who was in her 40s and she was at home with five children and the husband left and hasn't paid. You know, she's in a two-bedroom unit and he's got the mansion in the eastern suburbs. I find those stories, I really am angry when I hear those stories. These are professional women. You know, they have professional careers and for whatever reason because of the kids they can't work so we did have an influx of women call us and of course we had also women who made them realize that they want to do something exciting in their life you know they get to a certain age I only really employ women over 35 we have a 55 year old working for us and again she contacted us during lockdown so you know these women make educated decisions to slip into the high heels they're they're not doing it necessarily out of desperation, but we did see uh, an influx of calls from women, yes. So did you get a lot of new people working for you or is it just a small number? What's the proportionality here? Um, We're more of a boutique agency. So we, you know, we have a certain uh, requirement for our agency and we do prefer older women. That's where the need is, mature women. So we, we, we did employ quite a few, yes. And it's really nice to see and hear them become more confident and you know, more empowered and, you know, they've got disposable income now. You just mentioned there, this, this is interesting to me, you just mentioned there a woman with, with five kids who'd been left on her own. Is this the kind of industry, I mean, we're all craving work-life balance. Is, is this something that affords that opportunity for women? Yes, it is. And it's one of the reasons why I left my nine-to-five journalism career and decided to become a high-class escort because, I mean, many, many reasons, and I was 37 when I did this, is because Um, As a single mother, I didn't want anyone else, e.g. an editor, telling me when I could and couldn't see my children. And I wanted flexibility. And that's one of the reasons why I became Samantha. I wanted the flexibility. Obviously, the disposable income is fantastic, but it's more the flexibility that hooks you in. It's working when you want, you know, and making more in a few hours than I did in a week necessarily. And you know, as a single woman, I got sick of dating. So I decided to, I always say, if men want to waste my time, they can pay for it. So I think a lot of women (laughs) my age plus, I'm 47 now, have that, you know, that we realise the white knight doesn't exist. And why wouldn't a mature woman who's had a kid, had a career, want to go out with a lovely man and get paid for a time, (laughs) you know, rather than be ghosted the day after? We're talking... That sounds um, really cynical, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a reality, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. Dating is really hard. And 
you know, I really admire people who stay married or, or have successful relationships in uh, 2021. It's extremely hard. There's so much choice out there. And I think as a mature woman who's been married and divorced, you know, we know the realities of dating and a lot of women, not all, because this, this job doesn't suit every woman. And I'm very clear on that. The women who do work for us just got sick of dating, just got sick of um being ghosted or not meeting decent men and now meet decent men. I'm not glamorizing the industry. It is not for everybody, but the women that can do it, enjoy it. That was Samantha X who runs a business called After Dark. Let's cross over a state border to Victoria and we're going to speak to Fiona Patton. She worked for a few years as a sex worker herself and now she's become a Victorian member of parliament. She is from the Reason Party. Fiona, thanks for joining us. How have you seen sex work change throughout the pandemic? The lockdown impacted sex workers enormously, the various lockdowns and the various restrictions. Many sex workers fell through the cracks. They didn't qualify for any of the government supports that were on offer. So it really did impact them. And for many sex workers, it meant that they had to change their online presence. For many, particularly those who were independently employed, they were using their social media platforms and other websites to connect with clients, to build up their business, etc. But when they couldn't actually physically see their clients, they had to work at another way to maintain that relationship, maintain that commercial relationship. And that did include providing a variety of online services for sex workers. And I think for some of them, that actually worked quite well. For others, it didn't. And certainly for those who worked in brothels, there was also probably some less successful attempts in in trying to create sort of an online presence um, for workers who are working in brothels or working with escort agencies. Are you saying that the pandemic drove some innovation in the industry and are you talking mostly about live video calls? What were the sorts of things people were doing? Yeah, look, I think live video calls, absolutely. And people were doing their own shows. And it really struck me because, Tom, as you know, I mean, I've worked in the with the sex industry for a very long time. And I remember that the real line that was drawn between adult entertainment and adult services. Mm. You know, you were either an entertainer or a service provider and very rarely were you both. In the last couple of years, we've really seen that. So we've seen people who predominantly provided sexual services now kind of having that online presence that would traditionally be considered adult entertainment you know people who yeah porn I mean porn stars used to always say oh I would never be a sex worker and I'm I used to really grapple with what the difference was you were we were everybody was having sex for money but there was a camera in the room for for some and obviously porn stars were were working with other porn stars so everyone was being paid in the transaction rather than one being paid in sex work so I think that line has really blurred I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing and I think it also enables us to engage sexually probably in some really healthy ways. So you mentioned sex workers needing to maintain relationships with their clients and Mm. using online platforms for doing that. Legally though does that kind of enter a bit of a minefield depending on what state you're in where you could be at risk of being seen to solicit? Katrina it is a complete minefield. I mean for a start Australia has some of the most draconian online censorship laws, which 
really sit in a cupboard getting dusty up in Canberra. But sexually explicit material hosted in Australia is technically prohibited in Australia. So we've got some federal legislation that makes some performances and some platforms completely illegal. But then you're right, soliciting for sex work could fall foul of some legislation and I would look to probably South Australia and Tasmania for that. In states where sex work is regulated, they're fairly silent about online, although we have restrictions on online advertising. Up until recently in Victoria, you could not use any part of your body to advertise your business except for your head. You could only use headshots. And for many sex workers, that just was not appropriate. And for them to maintain their privacy, their safety and their discretion. That was Fiona Patton from The Reason Party. She's a former sex worker and now an MP in Victoria. And Tom, she's driven new laws that further decriminalise more parts of the sex industry in Victoria. And those laws have the support of the Victorian government. They've passed the lower house and will now go to the upper house. She's hoping that that could happen sometime this year. Tomorrow on The Briefing, a deep dive on the Victorian government's pandemic bill. Listener.